0: Captain? Report. <laughs> Signature's detected. Shields up. <laughs> Signature's detected. Context South Beach Command. What's happening? C- context South
1: Beach Command. Lay that order. Context South Beach Command. This is the captain. C- context South Beach Command. Get out of my chair. 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 We have engaged the Klingons.
0: Klingons. Klingons. Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben
2: Harrison. A lot of people don't know that when you say a new Star Trek podcast, you're secretly saying anus.
0: I know. And uh, we've been lucky enough to be uh, doing some advertisements for our friends at the official Star Trek podcast, yeah. uh, Star Trek The Pod Directive. <laughs> uh, I've been saying that they've got a new Star Trek podcast over there. They do. <laughs> They're none the wiser. They're not listening to yeah. this. <laughs> no. no, who would?
2: Who would? There is a phenomenon in advertising where somebody at the advertiser, somebody that is paying for an advertisement, must listen to the thing or watch the show that they are booking ad time on to basically do their diligence, make sure that they didn't get charged for something that they didn't get.
0: Or that they've made a terrible mistake in what show they want to advertise on. Right, right. Uh, But
2: uh, I've, I've noticed that they've been asking just to hear the the audio files of the ads themselves for our shows we should just spite send them the the links to the episodes <laughs> I, lo- I love the idea that uh, somebody over there was like hmm I don't think I want to listen to this <laughs> why don't you guys just send the, the little 30 second bit toward the end that has the thing that we paid for
0: their Marin is how long
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's like longer than Mark Marin's Marin's and yet worse <laughs>
0: When I saw that they were doing ads on our show, I felt a couple of ways. At first, I was like, "Well, this is how they destroy us yeah. from the inside." <laughs> and then I listened to the show and I started reading some reviews of it, and I'm like, "They're not a threat to us. They're doing a totally different thing."
2: Yeah, it's a it's like a totally different format. I think I think if you if you'd like a companion piece to this show, you could have that, or if you like a companion piece to that show, you could have this. But it's not going to be duplicative.
0: You know what we need to do is we need to uh, we need to get inside their show and do an ad over there. I
2: don't. I don't want to pay any money for an ad. I would love to be a guest on their show.
0: I, I'd rather do the ad. I think. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah. I mean, I guess I'm no former. Uh, gubernatorial candidate Stacey abrams they they tend to have a much higher caliber of guests than what we can offer them
0: <laughs> i like frequently disappointing our audience not not another bigger audience by my presence <laughs> and also i don't want to step into the comedy ring of fire with uh two of the fastest comedy guns in the west yeah forget that <laughs> i don't need that on me i don't
2: ha- i don't have enough self-confidence for for that um do you think that they are now the, the the biggest Star Trek podcast going? They probably are, right?
0: No. Until we get into a situation like Fast and the Furious where we're racing for slips. <laughs> I'm going to continue to believe that our, that our slip has the biggest number. Wow. This show kicks ass. Greatest gen forever. Well, this is greatest discovery, my
2: friend. And uh, greatest discovery isn't even close to being the biggest Star Trek podcast. We know.
0: I'm. Rolling it into the Greatest Gen family of products. It is, yeah. I'm giving it a little bit of a bump.
2: I think it's the exciting new Star Trek podcast in the Greatest Gen family of products. But there are people that are like, that's not my Greatest Gen. I won't be listening.
0: When you set out to make a thing like Lower Decks, I don't think you're doing it for the reason of making it the biggest Star Trek show either. You're trying to make it the best thing of its kind. That's true, yeah. That's a related feeling to what Greatest Discovery is, right? We, greatest Discovery, not going to be the biggest Star Trek show. That's Greatest Gen. And also not going to be like
2: like the Venn diagram of people that are fans of Greatest Discovery is not a perfect circle with the people that are fans of the Greatest Generation. And I think that they are self-consciously doing something like that with Lower Decks. They're saying, let's make a new circle. And it will overlap with the old circle somewhat, but not entirely. Maybe better for them if it doesn't overlap that much at all.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, what we need is the greatest discovery snake eating the greatest <laughs> gen tail in a Uxbridge Shimoda oroboros situation. Mm, yeah, <laughs> you know what? That's what we bring out on the next tour. the the uh, the temporary tattoo that is. The Uxbridge Shimoda show logos eating each other. <laughs> Hot seller. Yeah. Very metal.
2: Yeah. People uh, People love putting our image semi-permanently on their bodies.
0: Yeah. Can't be permanent. No way. No. Yeah. Though there is a tattoo out there. A real one. Yeah.
2: There's a Dustbuster Club tattoo in the wild, which is really cool. I've seen it in Persian. We both have. The coolest. Yeah. That's a friend of the show, Crystal.
0: If you were going to get a tattoo that enshrines something from the lower deck Star Trek program, uh, could you think of something on the spot? You've gotten drunk. You've wandered into a tattoo parlor. <laughs> Don't give Benjamin R. Harrison the folder with the with the pages inside the plastic. You're you're gonna draw it yourself, Ben. What's it gonna be?
2: Okay, here's what it's gonna be. It's the Starfleet insignia and starburst on the bottom of the foot, the way they all have it on the bottom of their boots in lower decks.
0: Whoa. So you'd get a bottom of the foot tattoo?
2: Yeah. Secret tattoo. I
0: love that idea. You might
2: even slip it past the goalie and still be able to get buried in a Jewish cemetery.
0: How many people get bottom of the foot tattoos? That's gotta be such a rarity. <laughs> Even the people who tattoo their faces, I feel like, would never go bottom of foot. Yeah. <laughs> I I think uh Tom
2: Hanks famously has Andy written on the bottom of his foot. <laughs> He's the only other person that's ever done it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh not to be outdone Chet Hanks' uh tattooed jaw <laughs> on the bottom of his. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let's get to the show, man. We've got an episode of Lower Decks to talk about. It's the seventh episode of season one. It's called Much Ado About Boimler.
2: And almost nothing ado about Rutherford.
0: Right. I mean, where are the parenthetical titles? That
2: would be delightful. I would I would be super into that. The um like the you know, the rock and roll CD liner notes yeah. where You're like, oh, yeah, like in the parentheses, it's the phrase from the hook. Uh But that's not what the song is called.
0: Right. Uh, The song of this episode is a lot about Boimler. And in parentheses, uh, Rutherford does save the day toward the end. But the story begins uh, in the bunk bed suite where uh, everyone is absolutely exhausted from work. Very wiped out. They've
2: been repairing the station grid. No talk, sleep. My mind raced, thinking of what that could be. But, uh, but the point is that they're all just completely, completely wrung out. their Their uniforms are tattered. They look like they've been they've been
0: at this for weeks. They mention running yeah. for much of their shift, and uh, don't see too many Starfleet's doing that on Star Trek. No. At least the the kind of run that you would associate with a Tom Cruise, like the full out run. Right. There's some uh there's some jogging <laughs> most of the time, but not anything faster than that.
2: Yeah, Jordy will will break into a trot in order to get some momentum for his roll under the door as the right. engineering section seals itself off to protect the ship from a coolant leak.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong, but on one of his rolls, I feel like he does a a hop, like a couple of hops, <laughs>
2: yeah, and then he folds <laughs> one leg and he rolls under. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think he does a little bit of a hop.
0: If we're ever able to interview LeVar Burton again, I really want to interrogate the rolling. Bullshit.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'd also just love to have him introduce an episode of our show by saying, coolant leak, everyone stop <laughs> listening to The Greatest Generation.
0: <laughs> uh, Tendi is not one of the tired in this scene. She kind of seems to have... Limitless energy, like, and it's not just confined to this episode. I think it's across all the episodes. She is effervescent and never not that, right?
2: Yeah, she, there's a there's a continuity of Tendy energy, and mm-hmm. she's always got it. And uh, in this episode, everyone else is trying to collapse in a heap when she comes in with the dog, a golden retriever looking dog that Tendy has. Uh, <laughs> has sort of uh, created from nothing. She she made life, it sounds like. She turned inert carbon into the dog by hand-coding the genetic sequence of the dog.
0: I think this, and I think many episodes in season one could be considered bottles, but I thought a lot about the sequence of episodes in season one and this one coming right behind the Badgie episode, Mm -hmm. specifically, right? We have two characters... Two characters who are maybe the closest to each other have made life in successive episodes. (laughs) And so my mind immediately went to Badgie again after Tendi produces The Dog. Right. Yeah. Interestingly,
2: I think this is the episode that introduces the idea that it's not always going to be Tendi and Rutherford and Mariner and Boimler paired off in our A and B stories. I'm glad for that. We need to mix it up a little bit. The deal with the dog is that Tendi is never looking at the dog when the dog does an evil thing, or just a crazy thing, like turn into a metal cube and roll down the hallway.
0: I'd I'd still pet a metal cube mm-hmm. if you were my dog.
2: Yeah, I would. I would fucking take a bullet for a metal cube if it was
0: my dog. The dog is going to be a going concern. Right, and uh, and
2: and it's like a real like. Exorcist kind of evil that we're talking about when the dog like inverts itself and crab walks up onto the ceiling
0: there's a I mean crash zoom is a visual language that means horror film Mm -hmm. you know and there's a lot about this episode that evokes those feelings of that genre
2: yeah it does it is less horrific than many episodes of lower decks that we've seen but uh that's that's clearly like a favorite visual language of the of the creators right. of this of this series
0: after the open we get ransom's log uh and a scene of some action tights uh, <laughs> being worn by captain Freeman shacks, and uh ransom We're getting a training scene not unlike the one that we saw in uh in the Jellico episode on TNG, a, a name that is evoked even right. in this episode a little later.
2: Elite team is not just a, uh, is not just a thing you can be put on. It's a type of uniform and a type of mission in Star Trek. Right. And, uh, <laughs> the, uh, you know, in, in classic, this show fashion, their elite team mission seems super pedestrian. It's, uh, we're going to go germinate some seeds in some Star Trek caves. And, like, there are no further details. We don't have any idea, like, what the stakes of that mission are. Uh, it's just a, a narrative pretext for getting the captain, the first officer, and the security guy off the ship.
0: Right. Uh, the substitute captain, and we'll be taking the Cerritos to a bog planet. And this is something that Boims is jazzed about and Mariner is not. Mariner. Again, having had experiences that Boimler couldn't possibly relate to, <laughs> she seems to see a mission like this coming in a way that he cannot.
2: Mariner uh, has been reading a lot of conspiracy websites on the internet and would like to drain the
0: bog. Right. There's no draining the bog on the planet they're heading to, though. It, it feels like it's uh, it's in the way that Earth is mostly ocean. This is This is mostly bog, this bog planet. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Uh, Boimler walks down to the kind of workshoppy area that they're always hanging out in, where Rutherford is doing some work on a transporter pad. And it's kind of like, it kind of reminded me of The Fly, where there's like the single occupant transporter pads side by side.
0: Ready for demonstration, kids?
2: But this seems to have implications for the whole ship. I guess it's the chips themselves that he's working on, maybe
0: that fly comparison is a really great observation that i didn't that i didn't put together but it's very rare to see like lateral transport versus vertical transport right yeah yeah <laughs> because i think i feel like we're going to keep ringing this bell like that is a language to a type of of film and the fly is a type of film where science experiment goes wrong
2: yeah You just put that visual in there and we're going to do the math like this is not going to go well. But that kind of hangs like a sort of Damocles over this scene for the first half of it, at least, because Boimler is there trying to bend Rutherford's ear about, hey, what about this way of doing my hair? Do you think that that would impress the people that are coming to run the ship from another ship? Like he he really sees this as an opportunity to have some fresh, un- uh, (laughs) unprejudiced eyes on him uh, that that could potentially uh, elevate him to Lieutenant. His his great ambition.
0: I'm super late to this train and I hope that there are still seats on board for me. (laughs) But I really like Jack Quaid because I started watching The Boys lately and he is really good on that show and fun and funny and the guy's great. Is he the younger person in the boys? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's the guy who has blood uh, thrown at him every other episode.
2: His his girlfriend gets uh, pulverized in the first instance of the show.
0: Right. Right.
2: Yeah. I feel, I feel like I I stopped watching that show because it was just too dark for me. But it's a lot. Yeah. Like it's it, it's it's one of those shows that like starts brutal and no, never stops being brutal. Right.
0: It's. Super interestingly toned, I would say. Mm-hmm. It's very unique in in how it plays with tone. I think it was. Uh, I
2: was watching it to try and scratch the itch of the tick going away because mm-hmm. I really liked the tick, and mm-hmm. uh, and it was like, hey, what if the tick, but not upbeat and silly?
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, the boys. You could call the boys. This ain't the tick, except uh, not. An adult film. Right. <laughs> so uh, Boimler volunteers for the transporter experiment and after being beamed to the other pad successfully, wants a return trip. And it's in the return trip that uh, he is turned into a ringing, glowing Boimler.
1: It's just cosmetic. What's that noise? <gasps> is that me?
0: Yeah,
2: he's... Uh... I think they say half a Millicochran out of phase, but what this means is that he is forced ghost blue, translucent, and ringing. And I uh, I watched this episode on headphones, and I found this ringing incredibly annoying. Like,
0: yeah, they got the annoying part right. I
2: kind of think that they maybe made it a little too annoying in the in the mix.
0: Did it sound to you like the herbs from Skyrim? <laughs>
2: reminds me a little bit of the transporter sound in the original series.
0: Yeah, I really like the comedy of of no one being horrified by the effect of this. Toward Boimler, it's it's they're only annoyed by by how it's made them feel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's
2: the same kind of reaction that the Enterprise crew has to Reginald Barkley's various transporter phobias right it's like come on enough with your transporter shit
0: (laughs) so it's time to meet the new crew ben we've got a spotty a Jayla, and a vulcan along with captain amina who mariner knows from the academy and it's surprising that mariner could know anyone from the academy who's made captain already and this is part of the the conflict seed that is planted at this point why is that is is a feeling that begins here and it's a it's an answer we get later on as the show goes on yeah
2: Amina Ramsey captain of the Oakland a starship named after my hometown that's got to be your favorite ship right tattoo that one on your lower back I have a crush on Amina Ramsey and she's the captain of the the Oakland
0: come on Amina Ramsey has those uh those dangling bits of hair by, uh-huh. to frame her face
2: I believe they're called locks in the industry. Very fetching. (laughs) Yeah. Cute accent. Uh, She's uh, really excited to see Mariner.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of a big deal.
2: Another character that I wondered if would know about Mariner's parentage, but either doesn't seem to or doesn't bring it up.
0: Right. Oh, good
2: call. This reunion is going great until Boims walks onto the bridge with his Deafening transporter sound coming off of him. And he's immediately shamed to Six Bay, where uh, Dr. Katz, medicine woman, uh, is also very annoyed at his condition. <laughs> no bedside manner coming from Dr. Katz in this episode.
0: No, not at all. And I think it's because uh, Boimler sounds like a garbage truck full of wind chimes being (laughs) dropped off of a building like it's just a lot to take (laughs) but luckily rutherford's able to turn that off and uh along with it goes the concern for boimler in a serious way like this seems to be like a livable state for him and the urgency to fix what's wrong with him is diminished when the sound goes away which is a a nice bit of business i think
2: Dr. Katz is not interested in being the person that solves this problem, though. So she has alerted something called Division 14, which is the section of Starfleet that handles unsolvable space illnesses. Yeah. If Star Trek is a place, the live-action D14 series, I feel like, could be really fun. I think so, too. You know, like ER, but in Star Trek would be would be cool as hell i think
0: we get our first reference to the farm here uh as a place for our injured starfleet and uh i don't know anytime you call something the farm that's (laughs) that's a very loaded description for a place of quote-unquote recovery for uh, anyone or anything
2: i love the writing of introducing a pet dog in in this context, because I feel yeah. like it makes it
0: even more obvious what they're kind of head fainting at. It's more subtle than aliens, 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 uh, from the last episode, you know, <laughs> right. It isn't the USS old yeller that, that pulls up to take <laughs> Boim's aboard, you know? No. Uh,
2: for some reason they have decided that Tendy and the dog are going to go with Boimler though.
0: Yeah, as if the dog qualifies as a candidate for the farm.
2: I felt like this was a bit strange. Like, the, like the more I thought about it, the less I understood why Tendy was was going with. But um, I feel like they've had that problem with her character a couple of times now. We're like, oh, yeah, let's uh, have her be doing diagnostics in a Jefferies tube, you know? Being that we've got two reds, a yellow and a blue they have a little bit of an awkward problem figuring out what the yellow and the blue can be up to in any given episode.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I could see that. And, I mean, getting to your point earlier, like like the division of our main characters, I think we needed some variation in that. And however right. flimsy the reason, I think it's a good opportunity to get some, some Tendi-Boimler time.
2: Yeah. So in the ready room... Uh, Captain Ramsey has a pitch for Mariner. She's so excited to see her. And, you know, Mariner's legend at the Academy was uh, a great one. So she uh, offers her ensign friend an opportunity. Be my first officer for the duration of the mission. I'm substitute captain. You could be substitute number one.
0: It seems like a pretty low stakes decision for Captain Ramsey here, and that is the only thing that makes any sense about it. Because if Captain Ramsey knew the danger of the mission ahead, I don't think there's any way that she would gamble on her number one being a person that she hasn't seen or known in a long time, right? I guess so. But, I mean, I think that her sense of Mariner
2: is that Mariner is super capable. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I wonder about that. Cause like there's like the reverse thing of that. Like you get better and better at something and because you were hired at level one, mm-hmm. like it can be, it can be hard to advance in certain jobs because they see you as, as the thing they hired you for and not like, yeah, you know, underestimate your capacity for growth.
0: That's a great um, point, Ben. No one's ever seen the potential in me. So it's hard For me to understand uh, Captain Ramsey's thinking here when she sees Mariner.
2: Whereas I have the opposite problem. People see nothing but potential in me.
0: I know. Yeah. (laughs) Mariner is in the room for the captain's log, and that made me feel all kinds of shakes. I would never (laughs) want to record a captain's log in front of anyone.
2: Yeah, especially somebody that's making me giggle.
0: (laughs) Yeah, forget that. That's yeah. not going to work.
2: You are not a baby boomer who answers their cell phone at a table in a crowded restaurant.
0: <laughs> not at all. Yeah, I'd I'd ask a mariner to leave before I recorded, that's for sure.
2: Yeah. I love the bits about Captain's trinkets. Did you get the sense that these were things that Captain Ramsey brought aboard herself?
0: Uh, the feeling I got was that they were Captain Freeman's things and they weren't replaced by Captain Ramsey's things, but I don't know. A bigger type of nerd would uh yeah. side by side these scenes.
2: Yeah, would would have would have pulled up an earlier Ready Room sequence right. and and drawn some comparisons. I mean, there was that like moment where Jellico started to redecorate Captain Picard's office that made everyone feel super uncomfortable, right?
0: I thought that was one of the best parts of that episode was how much you can do with uh with a push pin and a and a kid's drawing to really disrupt the feeling of a place, you know? Yeah,
2: absolutely. So Mariner jumps to number one. She shakes Captain Ramsey's hand and they go in for a hug and we get the, like, wide-eyed Mariner uh, on the other side of that hug. Like, what have I done? Washes over her face.
0: I like that feeling. I, I think you definitely say yes in that moment. You say yes before saying no.
2: This is a shoot first, ask questions later situation.
0: The Division 14 ship arrives like a space-faring haunted house. Like it (laughs) emerges from a thundercloud. Yeah, a lightning storm in space, just like in uh, Star Trek 2009. Yeah, it's pretty scary looking.
2: Do not Google the derivation of the name USS Osler like I did, because Osler is a very upsetting-looking skin condition. Oh, no. You'll just get a screen full of, like, people with really bad lesions on their hands.
0: I mean, (laughs) okay.
2: I really got trolled by (laughs) whoever put the name on on that starship.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's that's better than that one ship on Star Trek Picard, which was like the the medical name for eye trauma. That's, <laughs> that's the La Serena. That's what La Serena means. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: uh, the captain of this ship uh, is the same kind of alien as an alien in Star Trek the Animated Series. And uh, I looked this alien up because I'd, I'd seen that guy in... The animated series a few times, and I wanted to know what his species was, so we could talk about him. Turns out, there are two different competing names for his species in the canon.
0: Really, I looked him up, and I found edosian What is the competition?
2: Trexian. In in the, in some '90s novels, this huh. species was known as uh, Trexian. Sorry, but then like Lincoln Enterprises in 1974 called it an edosian So. We don't get this guy's name, I don't think, but uh, we can get somewhat more specific about what his species is, but not that specific.
0: I just thought it was sad that just like in the original animated series, uh, this is a type of being that replaced Walter Koenig's character on that show. <laughs> and again, Walter Koenig was supposed to voice this character and they just didn't have the money to pay him. So, No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a joke. That isn't actually true. This <laughs> <laughs> Walter Koenig erasure will not stand.
2: No, it's uh, it's too much.
0: They should have had him voice this guy. I'm I'm not saying the guy who did voice him is bad by any means. I think he's great. But uh, but that would have been a a very fun inside joke.
2: That would have been great. That would have been. Would we have done the math on that? I think we might be the only people that did the math on that. Yeah.
0: How are you going to sell an action figure without a name, guys?
1: <laughs> Do not trouble yourself with the journey.
0: Mariner does not get along with uh, Captain Ramsey's crew. They We get a getting dressed for away team scene here in which everyone gets into Starfleet Carhartt. <laughs> the, uh, the only overall built for uh, a bog planet.
2: Yeah. Mariner is uh, relating stories from back at the Academy and really seems to be cramping Ramsey's style. Like Ramsey's self-image and, and prestige are way different from the kind of rascal she was when she was in the Academy with Mariner. And so these stories do not comport with what she would like her crew to know about her, and also really offend some of the crew.
0: <laughs> right.
2: Like, they tell a story about, like, crashing a professor's car, and the spotty crew member is, like, super, super tearful about the idea of somebody doing something mean to Saul Rubichek.
0: I found that name so close to... Uh, Saul Rubinek, right? Saul Rubinek that that couldn't have been an accident, right? No. The Saul Rubinek from The Most Toys. Yeah. This is the first time that I am aware of not really enjoying Mariner's Company in a scene. Like, I thought this was very well depicted because I think, in the way you were describing, Ben, like Captain Ramsey's embarrassment is very acute feeling. And everyone around her looking at her like, this is Mariner, this is the Mariner. What the fuck? <laughs> it uh it in a way that uh Mariner being with her mom on the Cerritos does not feel this way right. Maybe
2: that is part of why nobody seems to know about that, but yeah, the feeling here is is super yucky, and seeing Mariner through other people's eyes, I think made me think about how unformed a person she she really is like she makes the case later in this episode that she doesn't want to be a captain yet because she is still mm-hmm. kind of in process and still still feels like there's a lot of different directions she could she could go in life and these slips of the tongue that wind up being a source of shame for captain ramsey feel like the kind of slips of the tongue i had all the time when i was like in my 20s and less in control of my faculties
0: you know right
2: oh uh, sorry right i'll just uh...
0: the away team meets up with boss bog and they get to work on the (laughs) water problem down there when the system they're sent to work on begins to overload like like the toilet from Parasite. It is, uh, <laughs> it is very grumbly in there. Yeah. And uh, if only they had the gear that they were supposed to leave with. This is a problem that could be easily fixed. But instead, it's a real mess that is barely saved with some quick thinking. And once it's over, everyone looks at Mariner like, why did you leave the tricorders on the Cerritos? That was a terrible rookie mistake. What do you
2: bring on an away mission? Phasers, tricorders. First two things.
0: Anytime you leave the ship, it's like leaving your house, Ben. It's a couple of pats on your pockets to confirm wallet and keys and phone. Right,
2: and uh, she really, she really blew it. The water pipe repair does not go well, Enterprise. Uh, also, like the the insult to injury is that the bog explosion of gross water that resulted from this overload got on everybody but Mariner. And uh, she seems genu- genuinely ashamed of this this gaffe. Like she, this is like one of those public fuck-ups at the workplace that you know is 100% your fault and everybody else knows is 100% your fault. And it feels terrible. Like even though Mariner was just being an asshole in the previous scene, like you feel super bad for her.
0: Yeah. I mean once you cover your coworkers in bog water you should probably transfer somewhere else. <laughs>
2: just file your papers.
0: That's just a good career move I think.
2: It's the kind of thing where like you see that go down in a workplace and you're like, well, I understand why they're going to fire that person, but I also feel bad for that person.
0: Right. And
2: and then sometimes like that person doesn't get fired and that's kind of what the next scene felt like. They they do a little FaceTime with Captain Freeman and the elite team. And, you know, the second that cuts off, Captain Ramsey is, like, making fun of their stupid elite mission behind enemy lines and how pointless it seems.
0: I loved looking at Shax in this scene, who is, like, sitting on a crate as if it were a toilet, holding on to <laughs> this little sapling. And he looks... Bored as hell like this does not look like the mission that he was hoping it would be. It doesn't look like it's going to be a a, Something involving a phaser in any kind of way. He looks despondent and constipated (laughs) maybe. (laughs) Which is a way I I am quite a bit. Yeah,
2: that's kind of he's finally he's converged with your natural state of existence
1: Yeah
0: The episode kind of pivots here into a second mission because uh, now Captain Ramsey must uh, take the Cerritos to meet up with the Rubidoux, which is a, a ship of similar class. Uh, they should have met up with it already, but it's late, and now it's their mission to go and find out what happened.
2: Right. The, the captain of the Rubidoux has a bit of a rep for showing up behind schedule, but they uh, they decide, like, let's go ahead and do a long-range scan Uh, There's a awkward pause while Mariner does not realize that that's something they're asking her to do specifically. And when she realizes, she sort of like nervously starts hitting buttons in her uh, first officer chair and accidentally turns on red alert, which... Causes the uh, the Vulcan lieutenant that Captain Ramsey brought aboard to lean over and say, "Like, hey, like, listen, I'm concerned that this Mariner is not actually good at anything, <laughs> like you said she was."
0: Yeah, the questioning about Mariner has become open now, mm-hmm. open for conversation. Which
2: is like a second barb of shame for the captain. Like, she really, she really is now like eaten a plate of shit in front of her crew twice because of something Mariner did. Three times, I guess. Because I guess the question is, like, how many more times is she going to let this happen?
0: I mean, is embarrassment like comedy? Is this a rule of threes situation?
2: It, it seems like more than three times that uh, that it yeah. goes down in this episode, so...
0: we got to count the times. Maybe there's a rule yeah. of embarrassment.
2: Maybe there is. That would actually be really helpful for our other podcast, uh, The grace Generation, which is... Sort of partly about our embarrassment.
0: That's what I was going to say. We are, we're experts on the feeling. We should mm-hmm. know this. Yeah. Academically.
2: It would not be a surprise to know that Star Trek Lower Decks was more of an expert on something that we tried to be an expert on.
0: I don't know about you. I never tried to be an expert.
2: <laughs> Some people have expertise thrust upon them, Adam.
0: Right. <laughs> on the Division 14 ship, uh, Tendi and Boymes meet the other patients on board, and it is a real uh, a real carousel of, of frightening scenes here. Uh, the ship is dark, and that's yeah. part of what sets the tone. Uh, you, you see people lurking in the shadows. You meet a person who is really the leader of these patients, a, a person who is half accelerating and half decelerating in age.
2: Yeah, he's an old on the
0: right side of his body and a young on the left side of his body. Get a couple others like uh, like delta radiation pike person, a a transporter accident person and and the salamander also.
2: Yeah, that's a that was a fun ref. Um, yeah. There was a guy with a duck bill, which I liked seeing. There was a guy whose head had like it looked like a planet exploding in space, so there were like fragments of it drifting away from him
0: yeah his head looked like praxis he's been diagnosed (laughs) with praxis Ben.
2: yeah yeah Uh, just feel so bad for the crew members that were around him when that big purple shockwave flew out from there
0: no amount of head-on can cure praxis
2: (laughs) the USS Osler is uh, is traveling back through space to uh, to the farm and the case is made that there is no
0: farm this is the farm. It's a very this is SETI Alpha 5 moment for, for this half-and-half half character, right? You lie! In City Alpha 5, there was light! Pretty shocking. The Cerritos arrives at the Rubidoux and gets a shock of its own, because it's lights out over there.
2: Yeah, this is one of those haunted ships where everything's off, they beam aboard, They're like the gravity isn't even on. ship is uh, dead in space, and... They're convinced that they're going to find Captain Dayton and her crew, uh, but they, they have to look around. And uh, another embarrassing moment, Mariner tries to turn the magnetism on in her spacesuit, and uh, I guess, like, turns it on too much or something and goes flying across the room.
0: We saw this with Rutherford and Tendi on the, on the holodeck, too. You got to watch where you're waving the soles of your gravity boots.
2: That is gravity boot one oh one, but uh it is also the like potentially the last straw for Captain Ramsey.
0: Our feelings are working in parallel here because, as this is the last straw, so too are they down to their last straw on the on the division fourteen ship? A mutiny is proposed uh wherein quote, the freaks fight back, <laughs> yeah. It's okay to say it because they say it about themselves, right? I think there are people that probably consider us to
2: be freaks. Oh, yeah. You know? No doubt. I mean, look at us.
0: We get a very fun uh, cut here because <laughs> we've got uh, we've got Boimler in the frame, and then we cut to the three-armed captain of the Division 14 ship uh, where Boimler is telling him what he's experienced with the— uh, with the rest of the crew he's a tattletale
2: Boimler is a fucking snitch and he gives the entire plan to this uh, Edonian captain
0: the Edonian captain is so pissed he breaks into a kind of Tootsie Pop patois like the (laughs) owl from the Tootsie Pop commercials doing a lot of uh, of rolling of his R's one (laughs) two
1: three Exactly. He never made it without biting.
2: He seems pretty gleeful about the prospect of putting down this mutiny, which, um, you know, I like Like snitches get snitches and all that, but I can understand why Boimler was like really worried about this mutiny. I mean, he's very he's very new to being a Starfleet officer. Getting your first mutiny under your belt as an ensign has got to be a really scary feeling.
0: Right. I mean, given what he knows at this moment, I... I don't blame this I don't blame him for his desperation. He believes he's on the farm. He believes there's no escape. He believes everyone's going to die as a result of this mutiny. So I don't know. I mean, the, prob- the problem is that everything about the captain of the Division 14 ship is scary, so I don't quite understand why you would confide in him. Boimler's a true believer. He's a true believer, and he's, uh, I mean, he's always going to worship rank you know
2: right even having his beliefs shaken by being put on this terrifying ship and given convincing evidence that uh, he's been essentially disappeared by Starfleet uh, does not shake his faith in Starfleet
0: I really like that this captain wears a stole type Starfleet uniform that's the only kind of uniform he could wear with that, that chest arm right
2: yeah how do you spoon a lover if you've got an arm coming out the front of your chest?
0: I don't know, man. You're definitely not a, not a stomach sleeper with that thing.
2: Triaxians have have very limited co-sleeping options.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he doesn't have it easy. That's why he's yeah. got this assignment, I guess. <laughs> do you think
2: Triexians have a dick between both... <laughs> You know both pairs of legs because they got a middle leg too, right?
0: Right. Do you think a Trexian bed is like a massage table, except the hole is where the chest is? <laughs>
2: oh yeah, yeah. There's a there's
0: an orifice for everything in a Trexian bed. Just drop that thing through. Back on the Rubedo, uh, Captain Ramsey calls out Mariner on her bullshit on the way to the cargo bay, which is where they believe the rest of the Rubidoux crew to be. And when those doors open, what we see inside is the crew floating and freaked out in a very specific way. Like, you never hear crying and whimpering in Star Trek quite like this. The The fear seems real, and Captain Dayton is maybe the most fearful of everyone in the cargo bay, she is totally freaked out.
2: She has has completely lost the initiative as a leader and is in a panic. And she's super worried that they're going to turn the energy back on. And she says, "That's what it. That's what it wants." And uh, what Captain Ramsey failed to anticipate was that the Rubedo is being consumed by a giant spaceborne. Uh, jellyfish thing that wants to eat all of its energy. She tries to, you know, radio to her crew in engineering not to turn the warp engine back on, but obviously uh, gets a little interference on the com badge. The energy goes on and the ship is starting to get ripped apart. (laughs) So many of these California-class starships have been destroyed so far in this series. They are so expendable.
0: Yeah, and there's... Rarely ever an effort to save them. Like, like, there's a willingness to allow them to be destroyed without ship saving measures.
2: I think that uh, if, if you have a party and invite a California class starship and it doesn't show up, it does not matter.
0: No, it's true. Emphatically.
2: And so, once again, we get like a scene where two characters on this show are racing through a ship that is being destroyed. And uh, kind of sorting their feelings out. And this is the the big scene with Mariner and Ramsey where Mariner kind of explains herself. Like, how could she be the, you know, head of their class at the Academy? How could she have been like the most capable cadet any of them knew and still still an ensign while Captain Ramsey has three entire more pips than she does?
0: It really puts a frame around the problem. but. I think, crucially, there is no explanation. This is interrogation by Captain Ramsey and Mariner being unable to give any rational reason to why her career is unfolded the way it has, right? She says what she
2: doesn't like about, about responsibility. Like, mm-hmm. I don't like getting yelled at. I don't like having to report in all the time. I like being able to kind of do whatever I want. And that's... Uh, not satisfying to Ramsey, like Ramsey does not like does not see how that could be possible, I guess,
0: yeah, I mean, it's not satisfying to me either because that's the tension in Mariner's character, right? Like if she doesn't like those things, why is she there? right? Why is she in the in the eye of the hurricane for order and rule? It doesn't seem like
2: she even really knows right, but this is cross cut with the titular freaks. Uh, pushing boimler into an airlock because he has betrayed them aboard the uh the oss osler and uh, just as he is sealed into this airlock and is about to get uh pushed out put out into space his uh transporter accident sort of wears off which uh, i was kind of hoping that they were gonna like jet, jet him into space and then because he is slightly phased out he actually doesn't need Like, oxygen to breathe or something.
0: Right. Instead, he turns corporeal and rolls into what looks like a a verdant field. He's arrived at the farm. Uh, The farm is real. Yeah, looks nice. Captain No Name
2: is much more evil-seeming than he actually is in action.
0: And he actually takes a moment to stop and go like, you know... Maybe paint the ship
1: some friendlier colors. Turn on some lights so it isn't so creepy.
2: <laughs> he is as God made him.
0: He has some insight, for sure. But maybe he's yeah. just not sleeping that well because of that third arm. Hmm.
2: We get a very strange moment between Tendy and the dog, who... The dog kind of stopped being a going concern for a lot of the middle of this episode. Right. And like for an episode that had a long scene about establishing the dog as the source of horror. Uh, it's kind of amazing that they just set the dog aside and had a whole different source of horror for <laughs> for that middle act.
0: Yeah. It was a bit of a sleight of dog here. Because the dog was hiding in plain sight, really, with all of its yeah. its many issues. but uh, what was also hiding was its uh, was its intelligence. It can talk, it can fly, it can do a lot of things. Didn't
2: want to freak Tendy out, which explains why the dog was never doing freaky shit in Tendy's presence. right and it floats off says a a heartfelt goodbye to Tendy. Boimler walks up with a uh, a big fruity beverage from this awesome seeming planet and is like, "What gives with the dog talking and flying? It becomes clear that Tendi did not know that dogs couldn't talk or fly right she because she's, she's an orion. she doesn't she doesn't know from dogs. This was an exotic creature to her.
0: Tendi's a blind person drawing an elephant, right? <laughs> Is't that Is't that the story? Yeah. This resort looks amazing, Ben. There's uh, there's activities. There's massage. All of our self-described freaks are uh, are enjoying their time, being given comfort. And it seems like there's hope for them. Yeah, and uh, there's far more hope for them that there is than there is for Boims, who is outed as uh, not as freaky as the rest of the attendees at the resort, and uh, is quickly put on a shuttle and sent away as a result
2: yeah he and he and Tendy have to go back to the cerritos he doesn't get to spend time with the sort of oversexed nurses that the, that seemed to work at the farm
0: <laughs> i was wondering about that tone myself what was that about <laughs> i don't know
2: <laughs> that seemed to be the, the main thing that he wanted to stick around for i would have been much more interested in those uh, <laughs> tropical beverages those looked great
0: the nurses are looking at him like that. That looks like a crank that hasn't been affected by Delta radiation. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's take a look. Yeah, let's rub that thing with some heated stones.
2: On the rapidly disintegrating Rubedo, tentacles are coming in uh, through cracks in the walls, and they are racing to get the entire crew and uh, and the away team up to the bridge which is the only part of the ship they're confident they can get a signal out. And, uh, you know, they have to like shoot phasers at a couple of tentacles because they grab Captain Dayton. It's like a whole nother mariner, right? Like she is, she is capable in a crisis in a way that she has not seemed to be. And Captain Ramsey realizes that Mariner kind of threw the game. She she was uh, intentionally looking like an idiot to avoid getting the thing she fears most promoted.
0: Right. As the Rubidoux starts to uh, break apart, those that remain on the ship are are evacuating as the scene unfolds, and then they sort of pile in. And
2: by evacuating, you mean shitting themselves.
0: Right. They shit themselves on their way to the bridge where the, the last remaining crew people... Are. And I felt like this scene was hyper effective in its tension between yeah. the music and the scenes of the ship breaking apart
2: and yeah, like cracks going through the view screen and stuff. I thought the the sound design was really good too, like hearing yeah. the people screaming. Like I thought it was really well
0: done. That's so too. Yeah, I mean, for a comedy show, I definitely do feel the non comedy elements of this thing working right. very well.
2: And, like, I think a lot of comedy shows don't take non-comedy elements as seriously as this show does. Yeah. This show is, like, not pulling punches
0: with sound design and score and tension like that. They have to beam all these people out, and they need to do it fast. And and the only viable way of transporting this fast is going to be Rutherford's invention. So Mariner blows in a call to him to get that thing plugged in.
2: boy, us up, Scotty.
0: Yeah, and so he does, and uh, they transport about 50 ringing people to the Cerritos. <laughs> and I take my ear pods out of my ears and go, ah! Pretty elegant scene of ship destruction here when the Rubidoux buys it. Ben, I want to, I wanna see how you feel about just renaming any ship size being a Tin Man.
2: <laughs>
0: when you're a very big alien and you're the size yeah. of a ship that's what you are right yeah. you're a tin man
2: it looked like those horny aliens in uh, encounter at far point to me
0: yeah they really did and immediately classified as peaceful I thought yeah. like there was no question about this thing's intention they destroyed a ship in front of them
2: the, the only evidence they have is that it destroyed a ship and they're like yep yeah. peaceful intentions Right. It's a good alien.
0: (laughs) The button on the episode occurs uh, in the bar of the Cerritos where Captain Ramsey reiterates her offer of ranking up Mariner if she wants to. Uh, But Mariner confides in her that uh, what she needs is a little more time to figure out what her own deal is before making any career moves. So offer extended but not accepted. And then that happens before Captain Ramsey throws Ransom through a glass table for touching her, I
2: guess. (laughs) The trailer for the next episode uh, maybe omitted some stuff about Ransom uh, having to answer a lot of questions with the HR department.
0: I don't know, man. I feel like the threshold for being glass tabled on Star Trek has been lowered quite a bit. It used to be uh, you had a nubbin bug in you or you were a suspected nubbin bug. And then you're going through the table, but uh, a touch of the shoulder, an uncont- an unconsensual shoulder touch yeah. is enough to send Ransom through. Did you like the episode, Adam? Uh, I did. I think, you know, you don't have to rank the episodes in a season, but I think I will say uh, I've liked others a little bit more than this, but I liked thinking about the things that this episode made me think about maybe more than any other. And I think specifically what I'm talking about is is what happens to the survivors of star trek missions because i think we've been trained over the course of of all the seasons of star trek we've ever watched that it's gore guns and ships exploding and there are no survivors right but but to be confronted with the idea that there are survivors and not all of the red shirts die mm-hmm. what happens to them and where do they go there's something so clinical and clean and antiseptic about Star Trek where you don't see the messes that are made of the missions or the people very often. And I liked thinking about that in a story like this, even though it's a comedy, even though it's played for for some laughs. Uh, even though, uh, you know, Freaks isn't totally, comfortable as a way to <laughs> to describe it is a it is a convenient shorthand for what has happened in a sci fi universe uh that that made me think here so yeah i uh I did like the episode for that reason what about you?
2: I liked it as well it's definitely one of those episodes that feels like ten pounds of episode in a two and a half pound bag like the yeah. the like number of story beats felt crazy but also like I do really want this show to start having storylines that aren't the ship is being destroyed around us and we are hashing our personal differences out amidst that.
0: Yeah, I think if we get to the 10th episode and half of them have been that, that I think I might be ready to join you in that feeling. I think it's proximity to the last episode where we got that that... Yeah, yeah. That is making me start to feel the pangs of it. But you're right. There's more stories to tell besides that.
2: All, all that being said, did enjoy the episode. Got some, some good laughs out of it. And, um, yeah, looking forward to next week's. But I'm also looking forward to our Priority One inbox. What do you say we go take a look at that thing?
0: Oh, I'm already there.
1: Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel.
2: Adam, our first one is of a promotional nature and the message is this join jk woodward and daryl taylor as they delve into the world of trek from the new show star trek picard and star trek discovery plus tos tng ds9 voyager and enterprise including the films comics and novels that's friend of the show jk woodward Wow, been, he's been a guest more than once, I believe, on Greatest Discovery.
0: Very cool, J.K. Uh,
2: very kind of you to get a P one. the The call to action is: search for our very unfunny and unprofessional podcast by typing
0: in the search.
2: Go trek yourself.
0: Uh, J.K. sells himself and the show short. Obviously, uh, he's been such a funny guest on our show over the years, and uh, such a fun hang. Yeah. Uh,
2: it says, uh, J.K. Woodward is commonly known as Jimmy Big Deal when, uh, wow. in the in the field that says, do you have any particular pronunciations you need to clarify? <laughs> God,
0: that seems like a nickname you give yourself, J.K. Like, <laughs> like uh, I, I don't think anyone named you that. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Oh, man, a rich
2: tapestry is the world of Star Trek podcasting. Very exciting. Go check out uh, Go Trek Yourself.
0: Yeah. Ben, our second priority one message. It's to Benjamin R. Harrison. It's from Mark Twain, and the message goes like this. Oh, fuck. Uh, Hello, Ben. I'm uh, highly insulted y'all didn't invite me to host the Picard Awards season one. Now, I understand you don't care for me, young man. (laughs) Jesus despite your co-host's great impression of me. Oh, but I clearly would have made such a much better host than Dr. Pissfreak. Uh... Stop by later, Ben. We'll work things out over delicious cold shrimp sandwiches. <laughs> I haven't done the Twain in a while. I didn't even know if that was... I do not even know if that was the voice. It's been probably 12 seasons since I've done a Mark Twain impression. So, yeah. cool. Little Dusty, that one.
2: It sucks even when it's not dusty. <laughs> it's the worst thing that happens on our shows.
0: Wow. Just you're so openly hostile of that one impression. The yeah. one impression that doesn't sound like every other impression I do is the one you hate.
2: You do so many funny things, Adam. You're one of the funniest people I've ever met. And And and, and that's just not one of them. You debase yourself with that.
0: Well, uh, our show debases itself with its Priority <laughs> One messages, and you can join the party uh, by going to MaximumFun.org Jumbotron. Uh, support the show with a personal or promotional message, uh, like, like our friend Mark Twain and our friend J.K. Woodward. Indeed. Uh, thanks for uh, helping us make this happen. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I gonna have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to Factormeals.com Trek50 and use the code Trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code Trek50 at Factormeals.com Trek50 to get 50% off.
2: Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in below the kilt care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, It works great. Uh, Trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new Signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit, plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off, plus free shipping with code TREK at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscapes.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on?
1: Just one more week till max fun drive.
2: (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year.
1: And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be
2: amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content.
1: Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st.
2: Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh,
1: nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast secretly incredibly fascinating
2: find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app and at maximumfun.org
0: hey ben what's that adam did you discover yourself an edward larkin oh
2: Uh, I did. Uh, I like that guy with the duck face in the background on, uh, on the Osler. I, I just want to know more about that duck face guy.
0: Yeah. What was the accident that happened to him?
2: Was he in a The Fly
0: style transporter accident with a duck? Is he just Duck Man from the cartoon Duckman? Yeah. Is he Howard the Duck? I don't know. Is
2: he actually coming down with a space disease or is that just how he is? Maybe he's just like an orderly on, on the ship and he's like helping out. We don't know. Did you have an Edward Larkin?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's always Mariner unless it's not. And this episode, it's not. Uh, it's got to be Tendi. Wow. Tendi, uh, Tendi clearly having the most fun with her companion animal. Yeah. Uh, doesn't matter if it's a dog or not. She believes it's the dog and that's good enough for her. She obviously loves him very much. And just yeah. having a ton of fun with them, so uh, it's going to be tandy this episode.
2: Good, Larkin Adam. Um, we watched a little trailer at the end of this episode for the next app. Se- seems like our our lower decks crew are involved in some kind of space trial. I don't know; if th- those didn't seem like they were Klingons, but the the area the trial was taking place looked very similar to the uh, undiscovered country. Uh, courtroom
0: i remember before the season started some twitter traffic between creator of the show mike mcmahon and tawny Newsom that referenced directly how insane episode eight is wow and that always stuck with me something big is happening in episode eight and i don't know what it is but i'm expecting something pretty wild and different here just based on that unless i'm being uh, lied to Unless I I crept into those uh, at tweets, and uh, and I don't understand what they mean.
2: Well, it does also look like some elite teamwork is taking place. We're getting the black jumpsuits on once again.
0: Yeah. I mean, once you put one on, they've got to be difficult to take off.
2: Mm -hmm. Those things are really painted on.
0: You want to powder your body before you pull on the uh, the action suit.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you'll appreciate that you did that later. Well, uh,
0: looking forward to that. In the
2: meantime, we're going to leave it with our beloved producer and editor, Rob's, 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 Rob's. So uh, he'll take it from here. Check back next week for another episode
0: of The Greatest Discovery. And if you've read any of the tweets between me and Ben, you'll know that uh, our next episode is going to be fucking wild.
2: fucking nuts, dude.
0: Whoa. What? (laughs) What?
1: The Greatest Discovery is a maximum fun podcast, hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. The show is produced by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Adam Argusia, who has an amazing cooking channel on YouTube. Go check it out. Make something at home. If you're looking for more Trek, why don't you go back into our feed and check out some older episodes? You know that we covered all the Greatest Discovery. We're covering lower decks. We covered Picard, but we also take a look at comic books. We have an interview with Anson Mount. There's a whole lot to discover, so check it out. And don't forget, you can now follow us on Twitter and Instagram under the handle Greatest Trek. That account is ran by Cardaddy Bill Tilly, and we really appreciate it. Thank you, Bill. Great to have you on the team. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next week with another episode of The Greatest Discovery.